Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? You guys good? It's a little weak. Considering you got more sleep than the rest of us, it's a little weak. Uh, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And if you're a guest with us today, man, thank you so so very much for being with us here. If you're going to watch this online later or on a podcast, thank you as well from wherever you're from. We uh, love you guys. Can we give it up for the folks going to catch this online? Can you give it up for them real quick? Thank you. You know, I think it's important before we move on um, that we just pause um, and think about and pray for the folks who have been um, honestly lost in, in this major storm that went through the Mid-South yesterday. Uh, if you've paid attention to it at all, and I know there's so many things happening, it's hard to catch everything, but if you paid attention to this at all, uh, I, I, other than hurricanes, I've never seen anything quite like the devastation. And I know that in that one little town of Mayfield, they're saying as many as 70 people or more have lost their lives. And, and I think it would just be important for us to stop what we're doing and pray. Would you guys mind just joining me wherever you are? So, Father, um, I thank you um, that you are the God of hope and peace and comfort, that in spite of what happens around us, you are the God who can come in and bring the peace of God because you are the God of peace, uh, Philippians tells us in chapter 4. And I just pray that you would do that for these people right now, God, that all of the people who've been affected would be comforted in some way. God, all the people who are right now working feverishly to save lives for our, from our front line, first responders, God, the great, the brave men and women that are there, the, the agencies that are there, and, and then the nonprofits that always go right into action representing Jesus and, and his mission. God, we're praying for all of them that you would provide and supply their needs and help. God, even those people who are right now hanging on for dear life, that God, you'd send your angels to bring life and hope and healing to them. God, we believe that we serve the kind of God who can, in a moment, with one word, change their lives, and so we pray that right now in Jesus' name, and everybody said a big amen, would you? Amen. amen. Hey, and listen, our, our church will respond. We work through Convoy of Hope. Um, they're there on, ground, on the ground right now working and doing their works, and so we're going to give on behalf of you guys. We're going gi to give money today, uh, and I just want to thank you that you've made that possible, so we're going to do that today. Um, we're in this series, uh, wrapping it today. And we'll continue Christmas on, on next Sunday and, and on Christmas Eve, but in, in a smaller and a slightly different form. Um, but we're finishing up our, our Advent series, uh, focusing specifically on uh, worship uh, that we see in the Christmas story. And what we're doing is we're just trying to recapture the heart of the story, to recapture some of the beauty and the wonder and the depth and the meaning and what we said about worship all through this series is that worship is our response. I'm imagining that there it is. Worship is our response. So it's a response. First and foremost, it requires something of us. Does that make sense, everybody? Like we're going to do, so we're, whether that's clapping hands, raising hands, singing songs, giving time, talent, treasure, whatever. It is, it's our response to God for who he is, like and who he's revealed himself to us, not just through the pages of, of scripture, but He's a very, do you, do you guys know that he's a very personal God? Amen. Like, have you ever been in a moment where you think nobody knows what I am, where I'm at and what's going on and there's no way through this, but then God shows up and shows himself to you deeply and personally. And when he does that, he shows us who he is and, and then he shows us what he's done. And our response to that 
is, man, God, if you want my hand clap, I'll give it to you. If you want my hands lifted, I'll do that. If you want me to sing that song, if you want me on my knees, then I will do that. That's my reasonable response. And so what we've said is that when you read the story, the, the key characters in the story, not all of them, but almost, in, almost every one of them, when they see Jesus with their own eyes or when they hear the good news one way or the other, their response in every case is worship. Every time, it's, it's worship and awe and wonder. And so from that notion, we get this, this, this big idea that we've been going through with this series. When you understand, like, like when I say understand, I don't mean just sort of intellectually understand. I mean when you get it, heart, soul, mind, when you get it, the Christmas story that is. The, this is my opinion, okay? You could have a different opinion, but my opinion is the only reasonable response to what you see, learn, hear, understand of the story is worship. That, that's, that's the big idea for me. So I want to just dig deeper into one of the stories, one of the key stories that we find in Matthew's gospel. In particular, it zeroes in on this story and see what we can learn about worship. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Judea, so we know he was born in the town of Bethlehem, thank you. Some of you are like, uh, Bethlehem, right answer. But that's in Judea, just so we get some clarity here. During the time of King Herod, King Herod is a king who is appointed by the Roman Empire to serve as the king over the nation of Israel. He is, a, he is not a good person. We know a lot about him from the writings of a man named Josephus. Josephus was a first century historian. His writings were preserved. We can know a lot about Herod because of him. So during the time of King Herod, Magi, we call them wise men, from the east came to where? To Jerusalem. Thank you. I just want to make sure you guys are awake. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now this is a problem because there is a king and his name is Herod. All right, you're tracking with me. So this is a problem. It, we don't read it in this text right here, but it disturbs not only Herod, but it disturbs all of Jerusalem um, because if Herod's bitter, then everybody's bitter because Herod kills people when he gets insecure, okay? So we know that from history. It says, they say to, to the people there, we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to what? Worship him. So what we see from this text and others is that really Christmas is about coming to worship, right? It's not coming to just receive and get and to get sucked into the consumer's uh, mindset. And by the way, I love all of the, the, the shadows of Christmas. We talked about this last week. I love them all, but there's depth and beauty and wonder hidden within all that. And the form that casts the shadows is what we said last week is Jesus. He's the form that casts all the shadows that make up the Christmas story. So we've come to worship him. Now, Let's just think about what we can learn from, uh, uh, from the Magi. Who are they? Where are they from? What were they all about? And the answer is, we have no idea. So you're welcome. You guys can go home now, and thank you for coming. We have no, we have no idea, except that they're from the East. That's all that we know. But within this story and other stories in the Old Testament, we can kind of piece together what could have happened and I think what logically would have happened um, so, so guesses, but, but educated ones, right? Um, and we're going to get in the weeds a little bit here, meaning we're going to kind of get into some detail that may seem like cumbersome for a minute, but if you'll hang with me, even if you're sleepy, hang with me. We're going to end up somewhere, I think, good. So the Bible tells us they came from the east, which a lot of people believe would have been 
from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, right? And we know this, we know that, or we think this because of the frankincense and myrrh that they brought. These were from that region, from trees that only grew in that region, okay? So it's just kind of a logical inference that maybe they came from there. Possibly even the city of Babylon, which was an ancient city, right? So 10 tribes. Um, it, here's what we know from the Old Testament, from Isaiah and other places. We know that the king of Assyria, Assyria is an ancient country at the time of, of Israel. Israel's been not following God. Israel's been doing the wrong thing over and over and over and over again. And finally, God allows the country of Assyria. The nation of Israel's been split into two pieces, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and ten tribes make up part of that kingdom. The Assyrians come in. They take, they take the, a lot of the Israelis into captivity, particularly the best and the brightest. And this is where we see a guy named Daniel. So in the Old Testament, there's a book named the Book of Daniel and his writings come during the occupation, the, 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 the dia diaspora. They're, they've scattered, they've been spread out across. So they're in Babylon. This is where Daniel writes all that. We know from history that the Jews and the Persians, so it's the Assyrians and then the Babylonians knock out the Assyrians and then the Persians come in, take out the Babylonians, and everybody thinks, well, the, uh, the, the Babylon, Babylon forever, except it's not. Persia forever, 400 years, but it's not, because then Alexander the Great comes in, you guys know him, short life, takes over the known world, but, but the Greeks will live forever, except they don't, right, um, right, because what happens, Rome comes in, right, so during the time, uh, from 700, uh, for 700 years, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, all are t uh, under the, uh, over the nation of Israel, why do you think they're so desperate for a Messiah? You see what I'm saying? 700 years of captivity, right? So, so this is what we know. So the 10 tribes are taken into captivity. Daniel writes what he does there. The Jews and the Persians are intermingled for at least 500 years. They considered Daniel one of the choicest and the best. They put him in a position of honor. And since the time of, of Daniel, the Persians then now know that there is a Jewish expectation uh, of a Messiah that will be born. What they don't know is when is the exact time if, in fact, these are Persian men from the east, right? When they saw the star, they now know what we've read about from Daniel hundreds of years prior, uh, that time has come. These guys were magi, which is just a, a short term for magicians, like, like, not, like not like entertaining magicians, like, like cultic priest-type magicians, and they would have known and had knowledge of the stars and astrology, not astronomy so much, but astrology, where they're like, hey, what does all these mean, and the constellations, and then we still have that going on today. Some of you read it in the paper every morning. Hey, what does my sign say? God help us all. Anyways, um, just moving right on. I'm offended. I'm never coming back. Okay, well, anyways, they, please come back. Um, these are astrologists, but not, not like the kind we think about now. These are the kind that are going, what, what does it all mean? And is there a God in the world? That's what these guys are. So they get, they set out on a journey. I want you to think about this. We're going to dig into this. They set out on a journey that would have taken weeks, most likely months to, to accomplish. Some scholars say up to a thousand miles of walking and riding. They're not able to jump on Southwest and have a nonstop flight to wherever, much like we do here in San Antonio, where we also don't have nonstop flights to anywhere other than McAllen, Austin, and Houston, right? Otherwise, you have to fly to another country and then catch a flight from there to somebody else. Come on, can you say amen for first world problems? You have to go to Austin to get a nonstop. Come on, man, we're bigger and better than Austin. Come on, amen. If you're from Austin, you have better food, some, maybe, maybe. And 
You, you, you even call yourself weird. All right, so just FYI, all right. <laughs> all the people from Austin are like, never coming back. I've offended the astrologists and the Austinites. All right, here we go. So, so they, they, they jump on their camel, and they, you know, they rev him up, and they ride out of their garage, and I'm, all right, I'm, I'm, it's, this is the fourth one, so hang with me, right? My, my imagination is wandering now. Very dangerous journey. You with me? There are people, there are gangs, and there are marauders, and there are people there, and so what we would see is we see in our nativity scene that we bought at the pottery barn, what we see there is three wise men, and one of them's got a camel, and maybe there's a donkey. No, no, no. We don't know if there were three. We don't know. Only thing we have is that they gave three gifts, so we think, well, there were three. There's probably 30, 40, 50 maybe. I don't know. There was, but what I'll tell you is there was an entourage. Wealthy, wealthy, uh, renowned, important men do not travel by themselves in this time. There would have been soldiers. There would have been servants. So this is why when they come to the city of Jerusalem, this a massive group, this is why all of the city gets an uproar because there it's a big group that's shown up everybody knows because they're going around hey where's the king of the jews and they're asking this of everybody they'll get an audience with herod but not yet they're asking everybody the most important detail though is they came to jerusalem they were coming to jerusalem but they were foreigners they were outsiders they don't have um they don't know the stories that the Jewish tradition would have had. They were pagans, meaning they were worshiping, you know, the moon and the stars and whatever else. And they were seeking this child, the king of the Jews. Now, let me tell you what I think this story, the Christmas story in this part in particular, answers for us. There are moments in our lives, and some of you may be there right now, where you are wondering, does God keep his promises? Does God know, does God have a plan? With all of the, the randomness of the world, with all the pain, with all the hurt, with all the sorrow, with all the things that I have to constantly in my feed, social media feed and news feed, is there a plan? And I think Christmas and then this story in particular reminds us that no matter what it looks like, God thinks in terms of hundreds of years and he always is moving and he's always turning things. And the moments that we think, God's forgotten me, suddenly he shows up in ways that we never, ever can see him coming. So why is all of this detail important? Well, I want you to remember that the Christmas story is part of a much bigger story, yes? Right? Uh, like, yes, there's a baby that is born in a manger, but the Christmas story is about a God who loves the people of the world who are hurting and broken and lost and in darkness. The people are in great darkness, Isaiah says, in, in his Christmas prophecies. So, so that God loves the world so much and loves you and I so much that he sends his only son as a baby who would grow up to become the sacrificial lamb of God to save the people, you and I, and all the people in before now and after us from their sins. So that manger in your nativity scene is deeply connected to that cross that maybe is on your wall. And, and if they are not corrected, uh, connected, then one of them is unnecessary. Think about that. And so we know from Revelation 5, verse 9, 
Uh, I don't have this here, but it, there was a, there's a massive crowd in Revela- the book of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible, which talks about what's going to happen, what's coming still. And it says there's this crowd gathered that's so massive that nobody can count them. And it says that, that they're all singing that we're all, that we're part of this in the future. We're all singing a song that says, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God, right? The first thing we're singing is you are worthy. And you are worthy. And why are you worthy? Because with your blood you purchased for God men from every tribe, language, people group, and nation. Right? So, so the, the shed blood of Jesus, which is part of this Christmas story, purchases for God many sons and daughters, including people from every tribe, nation, people group. But really, until this moment, this has not been happening. This was the God of Israel, of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. It was, he wasn't the God of all these other nations until this moment. So, so the Bible tells us that the way people get saved is through the preaching of the gospel. Right? Are there other ways that people get saved? Yes, but the primary way is somebody preaches the word of God, people hear, the spirit of God moves, people respond, and they say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And, and that's why, by the way, we invest in, in missions and local missions and national missions and global. While we're going to send a church out from this church next year, while we're going to probably start our own campus, another campus next year, because we believe that the good news has to get out to every nation and every tribe and every tongue we send people or we go ourselves or we send money so that the good news of great joy that was first announced at Christmas very first time it's announced is is spread so that whoever wants to hear will hear you with me so far so so serious now is God about all that I uh, is God about all that I just said about every nation and every tribe and every tongue coming so serious is about God about this about people coming to know Jesus, that God himself, not a preacher, not a missionary, not a herald, before John the Baptist, before the Apostle Paul would go on three missionary journeys and spread the gospel all over the Mediterranean Rim, before all of this, with no preacher, men from a thousand miles away feel compelled by God, foreigners, no one's ever done this before, right? No one's ever made their way. They feel, they, God puts it in their heart to make this extraordinary journey so that they can come to know God to the extent that they can't help themselves. They are inexorably drawn to this mission with no frame of reference. None of the stories, they're not Jewish. They don't know all the traditions, right? Maybe they have what Daniel wrote. And, and they say, let's get our stuff together and let's drive, let's walk a thousand miles maybe through dangerous territory just so we can go see this person that they don't even know who he is and and God gives them a GPS system in the form of some magical type star to guide them all along the way they come to Jerusalem they come fulfilling prophecies they don't know they are to find that there was a king already there who was not born yesterday Right, right. So this king is insecure. His name is Herod. He's not happy. So he call, once once they make their way into a, to an audience with Herod. Herod's they say, "Where is the king of the Jews?" And and Herod's like, "Right here." You know what I'm saying? But but he calls his chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he says, "Where is the Messiah to be born?" Because these are the people who know best. They've been studying this their whole. They've given their entire life to knowing when's the Messiah coming. Right? You with me? 
And so they go through the ancient scrolls and they open up the scroll of Micah and it's not delineated in chapters and verses like we have, but here's what they say. They read Micah 5.2, our version of Micah 5.2. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come from me one who will rule over Israel. So now we know where he's gonna be. But here's the thing that's scary to me. The chief priests and the religious leaders know more about the Bible than anybody else and not one of them moves to go down and see him. We talked about this last week, but it's scary for me because what I learned from this is that it's possible to be religious. It's possible to deeply know the scriptures and miss Jesus completely. We can get so, we can get so uh, familiar with the divine, the story of Christmas, that we miss the depth and the beauty and the meaning and the wonder, which is why I'm preaching this. I- I'll give you an example from my own life. This week, I went out um, and got the iPhone 13, right? Big deal, right? Some of you made fun of me uh, when I said this. Maybe some of you didn't, but the people who were there earlier made fun of me. But, but if you don't know me, then it makes no big deal to you that it's December the, what is this day? The 12th, and I just got this thing. So what, what makes that a big deal is that those of you who know me know that on the day they come out, I get them. But it's been three months since then, since I got them. And, and it used to be, guys, when, when they would come out, I would go stand in a line with the other idiots there at La Cantera in the hot or the cold or whatever it was to try to put my hands on one of this. And when I would get him, I would rejoice greatly with exceedingly great joy. Hallelujah. But now I'm like, meh. I'll get it when it comes out, like when I can actually buy it in the store. It was so backordered and so many supply chain issues. And then one day I saw it was available, so I went and got it. And I didn't rejoice with exceedingly great joy. I just put it next to the other ones that I already have. <laughs> I, I'm part of this upgrade program where I'm forever bound to Apple for the until I die. Like It's like every year I can get a new one if I want. I can get a new one as long as I give them my blood, sweat, and tears. What I'm telling you, though, is that no matter what happens uh, with them, no longer can they impress me. I just get them because they come. And I'm telling you that story to say religious people, it's a danger for us in the same way we see with the wise men that we can get so familiar with the divine that we can just be like, meh, to the Christmas story and miss Jesus and miss the wonder and miss the beauty. And this is a danger. And I just want to make sure we know that, that wise people, when they understand it, their response is worship. And these wise people, so, so I've said this for years here, wise people know what they don't know. But what makes them wise is that they go to those who do know. So wise people go, I don't know about money, but I know that guy over there does know, so I'm going to go talk to him or her, and they're going to teach me what they know about money. That's why wise people are wise. They're not born wise. They know what they don't know, and they go to those who do know. And we see that these wise men make a journey of 1,000 miles to go and see for themselves the very one who knows it all. And that's why they're wise men. Come on, y'all. And this is, by the way, this whole idea of the nations coming. This is why we will fight with everything we can to make LifePoint a church, not just for Christians, not just for saved people, uh, but we will keep fighting against all the pressures to make it all about us and, and, and make a place, a safe place where the curious or the confused or the doubtful or the people who go, dude, I'm just super far away from God right now, can come and find safely and, and, and if God is real and if he has something for their life. And we will never take for granted the people who give their life to Jesus here 
here, the people who are going to get baptized here today. And, and for this is the purpose of our church, and it's the reason why Jesus came, to seek and save those who were, come on, say it, those who were lost. So, so that was a segue back over here. Sorry. Matthew 2, and listening to the king, so they're now in the presence of the king, Herod. They went on their way because they've learned where Jesus is, born. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them because even though they know the town, they don't know where. So the star keeps hanging out with, and it comes to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. But here, they don't finish there. And going into the house, so we're not, back at, we're not in the manger. That's, that's probably two weeks before at least a week before. They're now in some little rented house in Bethlehem, even though they're from Galilee, right? They're from, Na he will be called a Nazarene. They're from a Nazareth. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They say, we've come to worship him. They're telling all the people of Israel, where's the king of the Jews? We want to worship him. And when they see him, they fell down. Great men, powerful men, they don't posture. They don't say, look how great we are. They get as small as they can on their knees, and they worship him. And then, so that's part one of their worship. Like maybe they bowed, maybe they, whatever they did. Part two is then opening their treasures. They open their chest that they've brought from these thousand miles, and there they made an offering to him, gifts of gold and frankincense and, and myrrh. I, I love this section, and it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. This this whole thing has just kind of wrecked me because there's, I'm giving you the tip of an iceberg that I've learned about, like new things that I've learned. I wish I could give it all to you. But it's just wrecked me because it keeps reminding me that God is a promise-keeping God. That no word from, he tells, he tells Mary, the angel tells Mary in, in Luke 1 that no word from God will ever fail. Go read that underline that one make that your mantra right no word from God will ever fail and th these pagans these these people with no frame of reference other than a star and maybe the writings of Daniel they make their way a thousand miles to teach us all these years later how to worship God we can learn something from the irreligious people and somehow, in the same way that God had opened their heart and their minds to go make this journey in the beginning, when they see this baby, they see beyond a baby in a manger, and they see King of Kings and Lord of Lords to the extent that they feel inclined to, quote, bow down, fall down, and then offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these aren't familiar gifts to us, frankincense and myrrh, right? Unless you're like one of those essential oil people, and you're like, hey, man, I got a whole bunch of them right here, and I can hook you up right here after church, right? Now, I've offended the essential oil people, too, all right? I'm trying. <laughs> Thank God I have some cowboy fans in the room with me to help me out of the room today, all right? You're like, no, have you seen the score? Not yet. Don't tell me, all right? Um, frankincense and myrrh extraordinarily valuable in this season. And many scholars would say that they were worth much more than the actual gold was. But in total, scholars say that these gifts would have represented more wealth than Jesus could have ever made in his entire lifetime. What's interesting about the value and the, the ex extravagant nature of these gifts is that the wise men aren't hesitant to give the gifts. They're not going, it's a baby, you know? I don't think we can give him all this. 
In fact, it says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They couldn't contain their joy in part, I think, not just because they finally seen him, but I think part of it has to do with the actual opportunity to give to make the difference that they're going to make. Worship always involves giving of ourselves, but the question is why? Why does God say, I want you to get, be giver? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Is it because God is needy? Right? You ever think about this? Like, if you've been raised in church, you just go, hey, we give. I, that's what we do, right? And you don't, you don't even question it. But people from the outside be like, what? Why would he give? I don't even know these people. I don't know what's going on here. You know, why would I give? Is God needy? Does he not have any resources? No, no, Acts chapter 17, Paul, who's preaching one of the great sermons right here that's ever been preached, he says, listen to me. He's talking to some philosophers in the Areopagus, this place in Athens where all the smartest, best philosophers come. He says, the God, he's telling them, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He'll show up, his presence, but he didn't live there. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Like, are you serious? Rather, I'll tell you who he is. He himself, what? Gives everyone life and breath. Say this with me, and everything else. Is God needy? Is that why we do this? No. I think that God knows, um, and this is borne out all through the biblical text, that giving does as much or more for the giver as it does for the person who's going to receive that gift. There's something that giving has in the human heart, and you see this in the faces of your children when you give them gifts, and they light up, and it makes you feel so happy that they're so happy. And, and by the way, and it makes you so mad when they're not happy as you thought they should be at the gift you went out and bought for. Can I get a witness, somebody? Be like, I'm going to cut you, child. Uh, just, a little, just a little Saint Nick for, for Jesus. Sorry. Little Nick. Uh, anyways, sorry. He's a, he's a pastor? You know, yeah. Uh, anyways. I think we see this in the response of the wise men, the joy that they have. I, I love the way John Piper puts it in the Advent devotional that I've been encouraging you to read. It's called The Good News of Great Joy. You can get it online for free, PDF form. Here's what he says about the wise men. He says, when they come to him, knowing he's the God of the universe who needs nothing, they're saying, I have come to you not for your things, for what you can give me, but I've come just, we've come just for you. A and this desire that I have just to come and see you, I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, in the hope of enjoying you more. By giving you what you do not need and what I might actually enjoy were I to keep it, I'm saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. And I love that because I think it, I think it expresses exactly what's at the heart of the Magi and what they're giving. Is. But I think there's another part of this that I've never thought about before. That when these wealthy men come and find this king of the kings, they don't find him in a castle or a palace with, with a court of noble men and noble women. They don't find his parents' lineage as a royal one in any way or shape or form. Instead, what they find is Mary and Joseph and the baby living in poverty because Mary and Joseph are poor. We know this. And maybe they realize in this moment when they're thinking, why did we make this way, all this way here with these gifts and we've traveled with all this entourage? Maybe it goes, wow. We're going to make a difference for this family because the God of heaven doesn't need our gifts, but his parents do. And our gifts are going to change the lives 
of this family forever. So put yourself in their shoes, the, 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 the Magi's shoes. H- have you ever had an opportunity to give something to someone who was desperately in need? Uh, maybe it was a, f- a child at risk or a, a family in need, and you, you realized that by giving them this thing that it has the potential to change their lives. If you've ever given to anything that is going to directly impact the life of somebody who's impoverished or hurting or broken, then you, you, like, like you know I'm going to change their life. You know how much joy and how much contentment and how much satisfaction there is to know in that moment. I think this is part of why they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Because some of you know this story well enough to know that once the Magi don't return to Herod as he asked them to do because an angel tells them to go a different way and they do. Once he realizes that he's going to send soldiers down there to kill Jesus. In fact, just to be sure because he's not sure of the time frame, he's going to have those soldiers kill all of the babies boys two years old and younger in and around Bethlehem, probably because of the size of the village at the time, 20 to 30 babies are going to be killed because of a mad king who's insecure and stuff like this still happens because that same spirit that invaded Herod's heart invades the heart and lives of men and women all over our world today. That ugliness. So, so God has a plan though. Look, this is from Matthew 2 when they had gone, when the wise men had gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, basically tell you to come back. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And notice this. So Joseph, he got up, took the child and his mother. Notice this. During the night. Come on, it's hard for us to relate to this, but imagine tonight. You're laying in your bed. And an angel of the Lord appears to you in a dream, shows up to you. First of all, You're terrified because there's a glowing person there in your room. But then they say to you, get up. Get up, trust me. Go down to Mexico. That's the closest place for us. And it's, you know, it's what is it, 150 miles to Mexico from here, 60 miles from Bethlehem to the edge of Egypt. Long journey for a mom who's just had a baby and a family. Get up during the night. Think think about that, y'all. No plan, no time to gather stuff. Just get up and go. And, And so he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Some scholars say it was up to seven years, but most say two to three years that they've in exile there. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Hosea. Doesn't say that, but that's who it was. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, consider this with me. Joseph, young family, brand new wife, right? Baby, how in the world are they supposed to get up in the middle of the night and flee to survive as immigrants in a foreign land. There is no plan. They live in Nazarene. All of their things are there, or or Nazareth, rather. All their things, there's no plan. There are no jobs waiting in Egypt's land. There are no family there that they can show up and live with. Showing up in Egypt with a baby and no job is gonna be very difficult and extraordinarily terrifying unless you have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to consider this now. While Herod is systematically taking out the boys in and around Bethlehem, Jesus is safe and well cared for in Egypt. The gift of the wise men who God called, no one has ever had this happen before, God calls from up to a thousand miles away, are going to give Jesus the chance to grow up and have a life and not be killed with the other children that Herod kills for a fact, kills in and around Bethlehem. These gifts saved the Savior. And then 
The Savior has a chance to grow up and become the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, and He gives Himself to us, which means then that the gifts of the wise men help save you and I as well. You talk about a legacy offering, everybody. I want you to think about the magnitude of this moment. These gifts help the family survive years spent in exile. These gifts, when you sort of extrapolate from here, they, 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 they pave the way for the gospel to be preached at all. Without their gifts, there would have been no cross because Jesus might not have survived that first year of his life, but he did because God had a plan that was hundreds of years in the making that had so many facets involved in it, and the gospel moved forward because of some strangers who God himself calls with no missionary, no preacher, no herald, and then they believe and they follow the star and they fall down on their knees and they worshiped God by offering resources that they chose to bring. It's interesting. At the very heart of the Christmas story is a picture of what God can do when people give as an act of worship, not an act of guilt or manipulation or obligation or pressure or fear of what God might do or might not do if I don't. Just people who say, yes, God, I realize the greatness of your story. God, I realize how good you've been to me. And they just, God does amazing things with that. He multiplies that. Over and over again we see it and hope and life are dealt because of that and the gospel moves forward. So I want us to pause and consider what we've heard. God promises us in Isaiah chapter 60, verse three, in nations, this is 730 years before Jesus. Are you with me? Imagine that you can predict what's gonna happen in a a month or two from now. How wealthy would you be if you knew who wins the Super Bowl? Come on, somebody. Like, we would be super impressed by you if you're like, this is gonna be the score. What do you call a person who can do that? Rich. Can I get a witness, somebody, right? And uh, 730 years, a nation shall come to your light and kings, wise men, to the brightness of your rising. Verse six, a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news Where is this newborn king of the Jews? The praises of the Lord. So so let's just think about what we've said based on what we can piece together. The people of Israel are taken 730 years before into captivity by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians and Daniel is included in that group and he finds incredible favor. He serves the king himself, writes the prophecies that God gives him. Somehow his writings are perhaps preserved in Babylon so that hundreds of years later some magicians, some wise men, some stargazers will find them somehow and and by reading them find out about a coming Messiah. A miraculous star will arise and because they're stargazers they'll notice it. The wise men will get up and they'll go maybe up to a thousand miles across this very dangerous first century landscape, they will arrive in Jerusalem with an entourage, speak to King Herod, learn from the priests where the Messiah is to be born, learn that in Micah 7, or 5, 2, 700 years before, it's in Bethlehem. They'll go there, follow the star doing there, and when they find him, they'll find this little impoverished family, and from their treasure chest, they, they will pull gold, frankincense, and myrrh, come on, just like was prophesied here, just, just like Isaiah said, and they'll provide a way of escape for the first family to escape into Egypt which fulfills Hosea's prophets out of Egypt have I called my son and Jesus' life will be spared as a result so that he can grow up become the sinless lamb of God who will die on a cross to save us all from our sins think about the complexity of what I've just said and this is just a thumbnail sketch 
of what is all involved in the Christmas story. We're like, we've barely scratched the surface over the past three weeks. Do you see, maybe, in spite of my poor efforts perhaps, do you see just a glimpse of the spectacular nature of the Christmas moment? All of these moving parts, all of these people, foreigners, all, uh, over hundreds of years, do you see why our only reasonable response to the news is, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for coming. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. That, that, the, that God, uh, in response to what I know, I have no choice but to worship you, all, the best of who I am, the best of what I've got. It's yours, God. So, so, so if that's not enough, when you read the Bible from beginning Genesis all the way to Revelation, 66 book, books of the Bible, when you read them, you find that the primary action of God, he has many actions, but the primary action of God is that God gives. We just read it in Acts 17 that God gives life and breath and everything else. That's who he is. Giving is what God does. And if you think, well, that's easy for God. He's, he's God and he has infinite power and he has infinite resources, so it's not very costly to him. Then you haven't read the story where God gives us his one and only son, Jesus, because on Christmas we discover that God gave the one thing he only had one of, Jesus. And it was a real gift, a sacrificial gift, and he paints in the Christmas story an amazing picture of a God who loves to give who loves the people of this world so much that he will orchestrate all of human history so that nations will rise and nations will fall and kingdoms will come and people will come and people will be drawn from hundreds of miles away to make journeys. He does all of this out of great love for people. God so loved the world. And when the wise men catch just a merest glimpse of this, they fall down to their knees and worship and they give. Be givers. Don't be a taker. Don't cling to what you have. Be generous with what you have and it will provide for you the most fruitful, the most joyful, the most satisfying kind of life because it, the Bible doesn't say that God so used the world that he took. It says that God so loved the world that he gave. Right. And do you know what he gives us? God gives us God. Jesus is God. I want you to think about this because there is no greater gift than that and because we have no greater need than that. God so loved the world that he gave us the greatest gift to fulfill the greatest need, a savior. And I'm so glad that this is a church where we have people who are generous and believe it this way. <sighs> the time is up, but listen, just can I just do, yeah, check it out. You're like, you're gonna do it anyways, man, just go ahead, yeah. I, some of you have already seen this, we've sent this out an email, but we know that because we can track how many people open the emails we send, not very many. We're gonna do it anyways, just in case some of you do, right? But, but this is what you guys have done this year. I'm at home in the Philippines, it's an orphanage, a school that we support there, you guys have given $31,400 to that school, that orphanage is there. Full-time care, full-time housing, full-time schooling for 120 
children. Rachel and I have been to, to the Philippines, and there are children all over Manila who are homeless and helpless and just wandering in the dark garbage dumps, hundreds and thousands of them. And Ima's Home is commissioned to just get them off the streets and love on them and take care of them, grow them up. And you get to be part of that. And, and your giving is providing almost, tw- almost 19% of their budget monthly. I know this because I'm actually on their board. Um, but I have a dream that, and our trustees, we've talked about it together, that one day, maybe in the next five years, that we're providing 100% of their budget. So all they have to do is think about what's next and where's next and how can we build and how can we take in more kids. And they don't have to worry about it. It's just a dream I have. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't told them. I'm just praying about it. And I just, I'm, I'm amazed at what you've done. Uh, in, in, in Costa Rica, at, there's a church there that we uh, took $14,000 down there. Construction projects, including some of the guys here, some of the ladies here, some of the students here. We built the pastor a house while we were there. Like, we didn't get to finish every detail, but we put up all the walls, we put up all the electricity, put up all the lighting fixtures, put up the ceiling, floated, taped, did the whole thing. I cleaned up after everybody and picked up what they needed and got them what they needed because I don't know how to build much of anything, right? Come on, look at me, right? But, 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 but you guys sent us down there with the money to do what we did. In Vignet, in Haiti, like a place that's in desperate need. I talked to Pastor Benit this past week. Uh, but we've sent $10,800 this year. But over the last six or seven years, we've sent well over $100,000 down to Haiti to do what we're doing down there. There's an orphanage there. There's a school there. And there is a feeding program and a church where hundreds of students, 700 and something students, have a school in part because people like you give. I just want you to know that. Life Church Vilnius in Lithuania, $9,000 this year for our missionary there. Uh, One Child Matters in Honduras and in Tegucigalpa, which is the capital city, this massive city, every year you're sending 36,000. You guys are, not the church's budget, you guys are. 72 kids have food, clothing, medication, and education because you give, because you do this. This is what you do. You're intentional about it. I, I can't keep going because we don't have time, but, 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 but our, na- our, our local partners, uh, Agora, Urban Faith, um, the San Antonio Food Bank, Tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of man hours in volunteer efforts. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. And, and, and the one thing that makes all that possible is your generosity. And we're coming to the end of the year, and every year we do a legacy offering. And nobody's going to pass a plate today, so you don't have to get nervous and freak out. And go, oh, this is what this is all leading to. No, it's just part of a big story. Because we have dreams and visions f- for, for big things next year, including maybe starting a second campus so that we can just keep the gospel out going forward and, and it's going to take more money that's what than what's in our budget and we have a church that's going to launch from this church called home church and we want to help them and a lot of them were here in the gatherings earlier we're going to help them by giving some of this offering to them and then we're going to keep giving them money to make sure they have what they need so the gospel can keep going out and i just want you to realize that when you give when you give you're doing what the wise men did you're making it possible for children here in San Antonio, around our country, and around the world to have hope and life. You're doing that. You're not just putting something in an offering plate. It's going places because God loves a cheerful giver, and when they give, he takes it and does amazing things in the same way he did with the wise men. I got other points. I can't get to them. I want to just say this. No one who ever has lived a generous lifestyle at the end of their lives ever said, I wish I didn't do that. No one's ever said that. Plenty of people, though, who've acquired much in the way of things and houses and bank accounts when they're dying and they realize I can't take any of this with me, wish they had given a lot more of it away 
but no one has ever said, I wished I hadn't been generous. It's just the best way to live. It's the best way to live your life. And you know what? <clears throat> These wise men have to go back. Uh, they leave, they go back home, but they don't go back home the same. Without knowing it, they get caught up in the greatest story ever told. Without realizing it, they help save the life of the man who would save the world, you and I included. Without really expecting it, they experience a joy that most of us will never know unless you're generous with what God gives you, your time, your talent, your treasure. Life can seem random. There can be pain and hurt and sorrow. Many of you are experiencing that right now. You don't have joy unspeakable. You have pain unspeakable. And life can seem random, but, but I'm telling you, I've, t I've told you all of this, not to receive an offering, but to tell you that God has a plan. Not just for the world, but God has a plan for you and you and you and you. So when it feels like everything is disconnected and everything is uh, out of sorts and it's random and how can all this work out, the Christmas story is the greatest reminder I can give you that God always has a plan for your life and he will come through, maybe not when you want him to, but always just right on time. And in response to that, our only reasonable response is worship. Can I pray with you, everybody? Father, thank you so very much um, for this, this Christmas story. Lord, it's not fable. It's not fairy tale. There were eyewitnesses to all of this. They were put together in orderly fashion. Luke says that he put it all in orderly fashion, that we were eyewitnesses so that, that, that people would know this isn't a fable. This isn't a Christmas book of wonder. This is the story as it happened. And God, may it remind us and may it comfort us and may it give us strength and may it, may it instill within us hope and purpose that no matter what it looks like around us, that God always has a plan. And if he makes a promise, he will always keep his promises. And Christmas is the best reminder I know. So I'm praying for people who are here today who maybe feel hopeless and hurt and lost and are wondering, is there a God? And the answer is yes. And we can come to know that God and we, we can trust him by faith and we can invite him to come and be the Lord of our hearts and our lives and the forgiver of our sins and the, and the changer of destinies in our life. And we can come and just ask him, God, come live in me. God, make your spirits home in me. I wanna follow you. I want to I have my life changed in the way the wise men who came and see, have come and seen. Now I've come and seen. God, and I want to know you and I want to follow you. God, and, and for every person who's a long-term believer in this room today, may we never get comfortable, may we never get familiar, may we never get casual with the greatest story that's ever been told. May it change our lives again and again and again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, could you give it up for God one more time? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.